So, sex. Pro or con? <laughs> sex. Yes, please. <laughs> Biologically speaking, we're mostly programmed for yes. It's not pro or con, it's pro or amateur. Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance. A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. With original music by Danny Shade. This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, Dealing In, Episode 4. It's not a feedback show this time. This time it's all about the sex. <laughs> okay, so anyway, this is uh, Dan Sawyer. This is Chris Lester. And this is Philippa Ballantyne. And we are sitting here with adult beverages and adult chocolate and adult content. We've been talking about sex and thought all of you might like to eavesdrop a bit. We've uh, sort of had this ongoing running conversation because uh, we have Kiwi now. Yay. And you has Kiwi. We can has Kiwi. And you have no idea what a sweet tart she is. <laughs> mm. So I've been called a middlesome tart. That too. I haven't been here that long yet. <laughs> but uh, I had this this gang of people over last night uh, to my house for dinner, and then continued the conversation this morning at uh, Daniel's house, and then carried it on through the reading at Scott Sigler's place, and then to the after party at the bar, and the after after party at. Chris the Fixed Kitty's house, and now we're on to the after, after, after party back at Dan's house. Uh, by this time, we've gotten way past Tab A goes into slot B. <laughs> yeah, we worked that out pretty early yeah, in the yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, We all seem to know how that worked by the time we Yeah, got but I'm just worrying that now, Chris, you know, it, it, all the people are going to be thinking that we've got one-track minds. Yeah, yeah. pretty much so. <laughs> I hate it when the truth gets out. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasting is dancing naked on the roof of your house. And in our case, we're probably the three most sexually explicit, uh, sexually explicit non-erotica writers in the potosphere right now. True. Although um, Pip is somewhat of a crossover artist. Yes. Well, I'm a crossover. My, my next work is going to be a little bit country, a little bit rock crossover. and roll. <laughs> and my next work is a little bit of a crossover too, depending on how it shakes out. So, mm. but. Uh, we are let's 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 let me rephrase. We are the three most sexually explicit writers that write things other than erotica. That's probably yeah, fair okay. to say, at least in the potosphere right yes. now. Um, yeah. Of course, some people are going to hear that and take it as a challenge. But, yeah. <laughs> Rule thirty-four. Absolutely. But yeah, that I mean, can only be a good thing. yeah, that can only be a good thing. We were trying to uh, think of anyone else in the, the podcasting community who is doing anything approaching the level of, I'm not going to say smut, um, <laughs> but <Filth. laughs> sensual content. Um, yeah. Because when you look at it, a lot of our stuff, I mean, Chasing the Bard, Antithesis, and Metamore City don't have huge amounts of actual sex going on, but mm. there is a lot of sexuality and sensuality yeah, they're, they're, they're the all text. very sexually saturated works even though there's most of the actual fucking happens off stage 
um, when it does happen on stage, it's very explicit. And when it's not on stage, the sensuality and the sexuality of the situations tend to saturate all our narratives. When, you, when you're saying stage, I'm just thinking, man, I should have written a, like a scene with Will fucking on a stage. Oh, that, <laughs> that would rock for the sequel. Yes, the, the, the next one. But Will's dead. <laughs> Time or, travel. Or is he? Dun, he he dun, could dun. be recreated in cyberspace for digital magic, too. Mm. Digital magic tool. Rule 34. <laughs> <laughs> yes, strangely enough. By the way, for, for those who uh, don't know Rule 34, Chris, could you fill us in? Rule 34 of the internet. There is porn of it. There are no exceptions to Rule 34. <laughs> if it can be thought of, there is yes. porn, there of, is porn it. of it. It's kind of like you know the, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and Schrodinger's cat. You, know, you, you make an observation and... It exists. <laughs> yeah. You collapse the wave function. Yep. <clears throat> Which yeah, leads to interesting um, <laughs> bits of innuendo around the double slit experiment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that brings back happy memories. Uh, you are indeed, Chris Lester, one saucy bitch. Yes, you are. <laughs> we should back up and explain that one again. <laughs> Pip, would you do the honors, please? I, I think I think as in most things in the podcasting, it can be traced back to T. Morris and his blog post on why I like my smut from New Zealand, in which he called young, sweet, you know, innocent young Chris Lester. A, 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 was it a was it a, a, a saucy bitch? Yeah, he. Um, he called you a tease. Yeah, he st- he started out by saying, "Are you teasing T? Because that's." Not deliberately. Because <laughs> if so, there are some people that might want some photos. <laughs> and just look at the disappointment on Chris Lester's pretty little face. <laughs> and it is a pretty, pretty face. Oh, thank you. But yes, what, um, <laughs> what basically happened is um, T was talking about the, the lack of... Um, how, how he doesn't really go in for a lot of the erotica podcasts mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, this is erotica a la carte, which you produce is the, really the first erotica podcast that he's been interested in. Um, he did mention, he mentioned in passing that, uh, he was you know, listening to Metamore city and was a fan of it, but that Metamore city, while it, it had, um, some erotic elements that it, it didn't really get into that whole side of things that deeply, at least where you know explicit content was concerned. And so he said hmm. that basically Metamore City was the equivalent of a tease, which. But there's one scene there where it's you know. Mm-hmm. Oh sure, you're getting got... a little medical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is the there is the scene with with Danny and Jared, yeah. which is you know the the only. Uh, explicit intercourse scene that has appeared thus far. There is another one. Coming the, up. Emphasis on the coming. Which those of you who were at the... And the up. Which those of you who were at the midnight reading at Balticon uh, have already heard. Those of you who have not are just going to have to wait for it. But Wait I'm, for it. Wait for it. But uh, currently <laughs> planning that one to run during the, the um, intermission period between making the cut and the next big novel and uh, if things work out i believe it will be voiced by j daniel sawyer oh really so, is that the one that's the too. one oh boy that'll be fun so who's gonna voice the one i'm writing that'll be well that that's gonna depend upon mm. what i see on the you know on the page yeah. on the page 
Yeah, Chris has roped me into writing a story about sex, murder, and human sacrifice in outer space. Oh, yeah, one of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you would know all about those, wouldn't you, Pat? <laughs> Being from New Zealand and all. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. just thinking of that one erotica a la carte episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, Measureless yeah. man, one of the most Who hasn't woken gorgeous. up after a lot of weightless sex in a space station and found your lovers circling you with blood dripping out of their mouths, you know? <clears throat> Uh, you know, <laughs> and actually, I'm I'm a complete Coleridge bitch, and I loved Measureless to Man. I was just I had to listen to it twice because the first time through, I was bouncing every time I caught a reference. <laughs> I was just sitting there lit geeking out, going, "Oh, oh, another one, another one!" Yay! This explains why I was confused by it because there are par- I'm I'm not a, a lit mm, major. Okay, I will um, remind me. I'll it's get literature the porn. Remind me, I'll get the poem for you after we're done recording. Uh, I would, gotcha. I could write like a a, a Keats slash Byron slash Shelley porn. Keats and Byron slash. Didn't Keats and Byron actually sleep together? Was that Byron? I don't know. No, the that was Byron and Shelley that slept. Yeah, yeah. Byron. Slept with everybody. Yeah, I think it was, he was yeah. male or female. He was one of those. Goat yeah. or, well, that's a long story. But, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say his only real friend in the world was his dog. <laughs> <laughs> and even she was a bit nervous. <laughs> she was one saucy bitch. <laughs> yeah, so, so yes, T. Morris called me a saucy bitch, which is kind of what got this whole thing rolling, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we wind up uh, in the in the car on the way back from Chris the Fix Kitties, ta- starting to talking about the saucy bitch post and comparing notes on um, on the different ways the three of us deal with sex in our worlds. Mm. Mm. And to which Chris was actually going to tell me what he thought my way of dealing with sex was. Well, your way of sex has been very diverse thus far because yeah. you have been dealing with such completely different worlds every time that you write one of these stories. And I have not heard the most recent ones, although I'm I'm intrigued by the puck. sound of it. Boom chicka wow wow. Oh yeah, puck gets laid. It's really good. <laughs> oh nice. Yeah, instead of Puck's Christmas, I should have called it Puck gets gets laid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would have been sort of more Puck's fuck. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that one. I haven't heard the one that apparently involves gender changing either. So Yeah. Which yeah, you know, I, I figure that that was like your Christmas present to me or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I've I've actually forgiven you with uh, with labeling, uh, putting me together with T. Morris as the same person. I can get past that. It only took like three, four months of therapy. Uh, I'm sending you the bill. Um, <laughs> I don't think it was the therapy that did it. I think it was the cussing him out when he got here when we got to his place last night. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite vivid. Actually, I will again point She's out. She's just for... as explicit in person, folks. <laughs> I will again point out for our listeners that I put them together in that character before I ever saw any of the the well, what became Double Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was just you hated me, and it was somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Punish. Maybe a New Zealander had done something to you in the past, and you were getting back on, at them. So no, not so much. I just I love your voice, and you were the perfect person to play Ava, and really T was the perfect person to play Evan. You know, they're they're different different uh, facets of the same character, different personalities, and I really enjoy the way both of you read those your two sides. And, of that and character. who gets to actually have any sex? Ava. Well, Ava has got that the uh, makeout session with Danny on the dance floor. Oh, that was just floor. a big tease. Oh, it was a big tease. Um, 
Very hot, though. Yeah, uh, Evan has not actually That's had... Actually, that was a lot more explicit than the sex scene, actually, come to think of it. You think? Yeah. I mean, you were getting into to which glands were lubricating at what point. <laughs> and the sex what scene... What was it, the armpits? <laughs> the sex scene was a little bit more um, oblique. Mm. Than, and... Um, a little more shy about that part, but, but I think the, that may be because it was the first time that I ever tried to write an actual, you know, intercourse mm-hmm. scene. Us uh, well, in the last ten years, mm-hmm. um, the joy of trying to find many different words for the word cock. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, when so many of them are so fucking goofy. Yeah, it's like I can't really say swollen, throbbing, you know, yeah, I man, mean, flower. You, or- <laughs> Even cock was a little bit. Um, it's a yeah. A little bit bald for the kind of uh, scene that it was because yeah. it was supposed to be very tender. And as soon as you, you know, as soon whip as you whip out a word like cock, as soon as you whip out okay, a word like cock, yeah. word for cock. I love your. <laughs> yeah. Well, you when if you go back and listen to the scene, you'll you know find that it, it's like, you know. It's it's pretty much referring to him, you know. It, it, I think that she she refers to to grasping him and you yeah, know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, tasting him or whatever, mm-hmm. and so, you know, as if his entire persona is embodied in his penis, which of course is not that far gonna, from the yeah, truth. Yeah, it's kind of the truth. <laughs> I was say, it must have been written by a man. That Actually, someone uh, someone not didn't complain, but just said. Mm. Could you find another word for cock? And I was thinking, okay, yeah, sure. You tell me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got a slang dictionary in there. It's got 400 words, and cock we... is the only one that is not either clinical, silly, or juvenile. Really. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, wanger, it just doesn't yeah, have the yeah. same appearance. Pee-pee. And even cock yeah. is a little a little silly when you think about it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a rooster. <laughs> they don't have external genitalia. I guess, depending on the, depending they, on the context... But it does get up in the morning. De- depending <laughs> on the context, prick and pecker can work too, but they don't really work in a sex scene. No. Mm. She grabbed his pecker. <laughs> sometimes prick works. Sometimes I, I've prick seen works. it sometimes prick, work. Yeah. But... Mm. I could use that. Yeah. Okay, I'll try next time. <laughs> Most of what I know f- about... Writing sex scenes came from reading uh, Kim Harrison, actually, and mm. she tends to be because she's not an erotica writer. She she's tends a little to purple. be. Do you a, think is a this, this is a question? Is erotica the line where you use the word cock? <laughs> In some point. senses, I think it is. Um, I, I I've been following the the controversy and participating a little bit on Twitter between Nobilis and uh, da, 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 cynical woman Heather. Oh it? yeah, yeah, um, uh, Helen. Helen, um, who write who does the Heat, Heat Flash. Flash podcast. And um, they've been going back and forth, forth over what is erotica and why aren't why isn't any erotica written for straight women? And it's a if you can find the Twitter conversation, it's fascinating. Mm. But um, but um, I don't know. I it, it's too easy to say erotica is intended to like they did on their first uh, roundtable discussion that erotica is intended to arouse. Se- r- arouse the more than just the genitals, but including the genitals of the reader. Because, I mean, come on, historical fiction, guys, you know, or detective fiction. detective mm. fiction. I mean, you know, there's there's sexually explicit uh, stuff, particularly in historical fiction, detective fiction, and science fiction. It's mm. it's just the nature of it. Mm. Um, and you know, porn is usually. <sighs> I, no, Billis came up with a good one. He said, uh, I think if I remember the, the podcast right, he said, 
Erotica is the sexually explicit story I want to keep reading. The story about sex I want to keep reading after, after I get off. After the sex is done, yeah. Well, after he gets off while mm-hmm. he's reading it. Mm-hmm. And that's actually not a bad, actually not a bad uh, definition, come to think of it. That, that's true. I, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, you look at um, you know, the porn that is out there, and generally speaking, it... it God awful. Yeah. Well, it is god awful. But I heard but apparently they've got a they've got a plot. There's now starting to get a plot driven section in the in in the porn shop. Yeah, there there are they're starting to like um, the three disc pirate porn. Oh yeah, pirates. Pirates is actually oh, you know I, I got a sequel. Yeah, oh. it, it has a sequel now. And, the the hilarious thing about mm, pirates is that so um, bad. but. In terms of actually having a plot, con- plot mm-hmm. content and having um, production values. Yeah, it actually had very good production values. I was mm-hmm. really disappointed. Like, they spent money on everything except the writing and the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, the lighting was actually gorgeous mm-hmm. uh, from a cinematographer's point of view. And the special effects were definitely Passable serviceable. for the time, yeah. yeah. It was it was hilarious because by the time it was halfway through, I was skipping over the sex scenes to find out how the story ended. <laughs> you're not porn. You're not doing it right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Worst piece of porn I ever saw: Caligula. Got I was I was hired to do a cartoon. Um, f- uh, it's supposed to be the car- a, a, a Roman nightmare. You know, the kind of nightmare that a Roman nobleman might have. And so I was, forgive the phrase, boning up on my Roman history and mythology. <laughs> I was burning I up almost, on my porn. I almost uh, <laughs> spat uh, Pinot Noir all over the, the Mac. Fine, you said you know, you know, I, 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 I went back and I read Suetonius and Tacitus and I watched I, Claudius because I was being paid enough to take the time to research. Oh, nice. And um, and so Caligula was one of the few movies about ancient Rome that w- that, that promoted itself as being historically accurate mm. that I hadn't seen. So I went out. I had to buy it because no one would rent it. <laughs> um, and oh, my God. Worst, worst, worst movie ever. You know it's a bad movie when you're fast-forwarding through the god-awful dialogue that is so historically inaccurate it makes you want to rip your hair out and stuff it into the television so that you can at least get to the sex scenes. And then you fast-forward through the sex scenes because they're so fucking dull that you can't bear to waste your life on them. I watched the whole movie on Fast Forward, stopping every once in a while to see if there was maybe a good line here, or, oh, that was an interesting yeah. nipple over there. No, it was, really wasn't. It just looked good in Fast Forward. <laughs> so was this labeled what? as a porn movie? Or yeah, was I've got it? It. If you want to take it home, I've got it. I can't, I can't <laughs> give it away. It's on my shelf right over there. I don't know. After New Zealand that's... might not let me bring in bad porn. <laughs> After that stirring review, I don't think. Anyone want a copy of Caligula? Really? The yeah. X-rated version? The long one? Oh. <laughs> oh, God. You're not selling it. <laughs> nah. Mm. We got to get it someone who loves bad movies. <laughs> Maybe you can talk to the people up at Real Video. They have a whole section. There you go. So bad, it's half price. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Back to sex. Back to sex, yes. It's always back to sex. <laughs> I just wondered if the, the whole plot-driven porn thing is to do with it now becoming socially acceptable for women to watch porn. It might be. I think it might also have to be... Um might also have to do with the fact that porn is so readily available mm. that you, you know, with any. If anybody's going to pay for it, they want yeah. something a little more substantive. Right. Yeah, it, I can it, get it for free on the internet, you yeah, know. Exactly. <laughs> and any hedonistic pleasure, which is, you know, just basic sense pleasure sex, mm-hmm. violence, food. Food. food, 
habituates quick. You know, you, you, you eat the, the same amazing meal two days in a row, and it's just like a hamburger, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the, the human brain needs variety and stimulation, and if you're on, you know, if, if you're watching, you know, when you used to have to go sneak out to 7-Eleven or to the adult bookstore to get porn, you didn't get it every day, and so they could get away with making shit, right? Mm-hmm. Now, just showing boobies and you know right, the bits yeah. between the legs that was enough to ooh. yeah. Now, now you get you get your free porn on Google or wherever you go, and so if you want people to keep coming back, you have to give them something that engages more than just their gonads. Mm. We have gotten to the point where the free market has caught up with the porn industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, isn't that the first sign of the apocalypse? <laughs> uh, one of the interesting side bits: sexual assault has gone down every year since the internet came online. Wow. Mm. In, not in not just in the US, in every country that has access. Wow. So those people in Myanmar are, you know, they're crying out for their internet porn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting, cuz a lot of a lot of um, people said, "Oh, you know, well, it's going to encourage does violence it, against women because they does can, exactly the opposite. It removes the sexually frustrated part of the raping population." Yeah. And leaves only the psychopaths and sociopaths. Who are a much smaller portion. Very yeah. small portion. I am um, rather interested in the um, the fact that we three have ended up as the sort of the saucy bitches of podcasting. <laughs> um, because of the very different backgrounds that we have. Yeah. I mean, you've got me as a you know single... You know, twenty-something man from a very conservative religious background who has never had a long-term relationship of any kind. Um, Pip, you who serial were, monogamist. Pip, the serial <laughs> monogamist, who is now currently single, and Dan and Kitty, who are poly and have been for a very long time, but and, who, but who were uh, virgins until marriage. Okay, and uh, I grew up in a very conservative religious community as well, but a different flavor. My mine mm-hmm. was very evangelical, and yeah, I think yours was more Pentecostal. Pentecostal, yeah. Mm-hmm. So and I went, I went, I went to an Anglican uh, school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, what did you Naughty think? school girl. No, no, I was a naughty school girl. Was? <laughs> you, still, you still walk with that waggling. <laughs> well, you, always, you always get that when you go to an all-girls school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, in my case, I can attribute the wide amount of sensuality in my podcast to sublimating my own frustrations. <laughs> What's your excuse? And by, the, and by the way, ladies, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, <laughs> Chris is a stand-up guy. Absolutely fabulous. Sweet as anything. And you'd love him. Come, you know, come get to one now, of our... Get him now. Avoid the rush. Yeah, get him now. Avoid the rush. He is my sexy young friend. Chris Lester <laughs> approaches the table now. His trademark headband, Ted, is that purely practical or is it also for the purposes of fashion. Well, he he assures us, Peter, it's purely practical. It's to keep his plentiful locks out of his forget-me-not blue eyes. Oh. <laughs> are your eyes forget-me-not exactly. blue? I'm going to have to go... They yeah, blue. they really are. They are blue. Oh, they are blue. Oh, but, uh, so come out to one of the pub ladies, crawls. I have looked into the eyes of Chris Lester. They are blue. Yes, so come <laughs> to the one of the pub crawls and meet the man. Yes. But anyway, I'm sorry. You the saying. man, the legend, the way of life. No. <laughs> <laughs> a fabulous cook too <laughs> oh thank you but yeah it it just it puzzles me that we've 
you know, come from these very diverse backgrounds and have all sort of ended up writing this sensual fiction that doesn't have a whole lot of um, erotic, like explicit erotic A lot of erotic content, content but not a lot of fucking. Right. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I mean, we've got, a, you know, I, all of us, I think, have been accused of being more um, erotic and more saucy in our, our writing than... Um, <laughs> You know the 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 strict acts being portrayed actually are. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Although I'm working on it. Yes, yeah, you're, you're catching up. But yeah, in book two of Antithesis uh, will be much more so as will down from ten. But mm-hmm. but uh, it's like I get these these Twitter conversations, you know, where people are talking about how incredibly sexy and sensual and erotic um, Metamore was, and th- this was before the one and only intercourse scene thus mm-hmm. far. And uh, and I'm writing, you know, I didn't really set out to make this an erotic podcast, and people are writing back to me saying, Chris, epic fail. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do I, I was just thinking about the nature of the podcast, where you can put in music, mm-hmm. and you can have the, the voice that can convey the sensuality and the sexuality. Why, whatever are you talking yes. about, my dear? I say, I do not know, but I think that perhaps the intimate nature of the podcast might be conducive to it the might, sensuality. Yeah. It might enhance things. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've thought about that, too. But... Um, but the truth is, I was getting long before I got it got into podcasting the stuff. Um, both several of the stories I wrote for Sculpting God and the early reader feedback on Antithesis was, "Oh my God, I can't get through a single page without it. it's just dripping with sex everywhere." Dripping. And for the record, and I'm not spoiling anything, there are two on-screen sex scenes in Antithesis, and one remembered one. Which we've and we've already seen the remembered one. And what about in Sculpting God? And in Sculpting God, Lilith was very explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, Lilith was was uh, was Bible story done as erotica almost. Mm. Um, and I'm actually particularly proud of that one. Um, the rest of them. Note to self: Look up Lilith. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've seen the picture was based on. Yes, um, it's very sexy. Thank you. But um, it, it was based on a photo shoot that uh, that we did a long time ago. But um, the um, the other ones, God, I don't think there's any explicit sex in them. Um, there is not very implicit sex in mm. We Create Worlds, and and in a couple of the ones coming up, but not ones I've uh, I've recorded yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're very they're, there's a very romantic note to all of them. There's deep sensuality in all of them, but not uh, not not explicit sex except in Lilith. So there's mm. another question: Are we getting saucier? Maybe. Mm. Because actually, my my next my next novel, the one that the uh, the agent is about to start shopping around, uh, we decided that the other title, apart from Geist, could be Three Days of Sex and a Blimp." <laughs> <laughs> Where can I get my advanced copy? Yeah. Let's just say there's a swinging bed. <laughs> oh, that rocks! Much better than a water. And what else are you going to do when you're on a blimp? You know, take pictures. Look at the scenery. <laughs> Let me see. Look at the scenery or shag in a swinging bed for three days. Hmm. Good point. <laughs> but anyway, you were in the middle of asking a very a long protracted question about our different backgrounds. Well, yeah. I mean, basically what it, ro- it comes down to is that I know that I can look at my own writing and see that the amount of sexual content that is in there, implicit or explicit, is largely a result of 
you know, my own sublimated frustrations working themselves out. Uh, what's the excuse for those of you who are actually getting some? <laughs> Don't look at me. Uh <laughs> or were until recently. <laughs> I, I, th I think the, um, for me, my writing has always been about, about sensuality. So it was easy to sort of take the step and it was just that I was not, I was basically chicken shit and didn't do it. Chicken Alaska. Yeah, chicken, I was chicken Alaska. She went to Alaska, my friend. <laughs> that is the new, uh, the, the new euphemism. euphemism yeah, else. yeah, I went to Alaska. And now I've come back from Alaska and things are heating up. Um, <laughs> I, I, nice. I honestly think it was probably the whole, the whole getting divorced, you know, right, I'm going to try new things kind of um, mm. and be braver. And... Um, yeah, doing erotica a la carte was just my way of like kicking the door and saying, oh, what the hell am I scared of? Just mm. do it. And it's cool. been fun. <laughs> oh, it's been wonderful to listen to. Um, it's going to sound strange, but I think mine comes much more from a place of anger. Mm. Um, I saw, all, all through growing up in very conservative churches and then in... Um, my psych training in the master's program I pulled out of because I didn't want to spend my life listening to other people's problems. And through various people I've known, one thing that I've seen over and over and over to the point where it makes me want to kill people, and I'm not exaggerating all that much, is um, people's sexuality being crushed from the time that they're yay high, whether it's through abuse or through repression. Because mm. I've seen a lot of both. And um, I made a commitment to myself after I think it was after I read Stranger in a Strange Land that whatever I did I was not ever going to treat sex as if it was abnormal right mm. no matter what I ran into so it it was a conscious choice on my part whether you know I'm writing a juvenile um right now and it's been interesting trying to keep the level of sexual saturation appropriate for the um 18 to 20 age group that the characters are while keeping the level of sexual content such that a juvenile publisher will want it. Right. But, um, I got, I just, I got so angry with the idea that sex is something wholly other when it's completely integral to everything that mm. humanity is. It's about the only, one of the basic primal yeah, urges. Mm. And so I made a conscious decision and have made a, a conscious effort all the time since then. Whenever I write a story, I deal with the sexuality of the characters. I try to make it as everyday, in all its glory and all its banality, if only. as writing. <laughs> sorry, you know, or, or, I'm sorry, not as writing, but uh, but as eating or yeah. um, mm. or or drinking or or anything else that we do every day that we've got urges for, you know. And and so it started out as just coming from a place of anger. I, what you know, I want the I want the culture to be different, and this is what I can do about it. I can see the uh, the relations um, or correlation between the way that you handle sex and the way that Heinlein handles sex. I mean, I can see the influence there because, yeah, I mean, Heinlein was my first exposure to a lot of the uh, alternative sexuality stuff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't start with Stranger, which I think is probably a good thing because I think it's one of his, his less, uh, less uh, well-constructed mm -hmm. uh, stories. But um, you know, the moon is a harsh mistress, and Friday oh, yes. being two of the the earliest Heinlein mm -hmm. that I read, and those stories will definitely give you a very interesting perspective on sex if you are a 
you know, teenager from a conservative Christian Midwestern background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely will. But, um, yeah, so I've got, um, again, forgive the phrase, but I've got kind of a hard on about sex being normal. Mm. And, um, I've, I mean, God, I grew up in San Francisco. (laughs) I've run into everything, um, healthy and unhealthy. And which is about as sexy as it gets. (laughs) (laughs) And there's not much that phases me. And part of that's deliberate. I I deliberately expose myself to things that gross. (laughs) I (laughs) deliberately, I, I deliberately set out to gain experience, either observational or direct. No. <laughs> with um with uh things that are uh, outside my comfort zone because mm. I think the um taboos and aversions are get in the way of making healthy sexual decisions and mm-hmm. particularly if I'm a writer and want to deal with sex as a normal part of life I have to be able to approach it as just a norm- another normal part of life subject mm-hmm. to the same Ethical considerations that we give to what restaurant to choose or who we're going to go to dinner with or, you know, how we're going to communicate with a friend. I I feel kind of bad now about about chasing the bard because in my mind, a puck was always bisexual (laughs) and I never really explored that. I did kind of, I think there was one bit where I said he loved Will. And, yes. and I, I meant it in the way that he loved mm-hmm. Will, not that he kind of liked Will. Well, Shakespeare was bisexual. You could yeah, have that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, may, maybe there's some slash <laughs> fiction coming There you go. There. Hey, next time you need a special Chasing the Bard episode. I, my, my, I mean, my whole theory was, well, Puck's obviously one of these characters. He's just, he's just in it for the fun. And why would he constrain mm-hmm. himself to one particular Set of genitalia. Where no, plus like... these fey. I mean, the fey are, by their very nature, chaotic, wild, and unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. yeah so... And being a different species, it's bestiality no matter who he's doing. Well, so. I actually <laughs> mentioned that in the, in the Christmas episode. Puck... That was an interesting face yeah. <laughs> Chris just blinked as if I had hit him across the face <laughs> with a trout. I had this, well, Puck can turn bits of his parts of his body into different... Um, oh, nice. animals. So, <laughs> in the Christmas episode, he's remembering shags that he's had, and one of That's them was right. laying down a Nubian princess on a on a limestone block, and he wore a a, a cat's head. Uh, you know, turned as you know he was like the cat headed god, and mm-hmm. <laughs> so she got some pussy. <laughs> Hopefully, without the barbs and the and the oh, penis, because yes. that would be. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. We also had an interesting conversation earlier about uh, the the. Uh, accoutrements on some of the genitalia in the mammalian world. And, and, and Chris's comment was, I can't believe... I can't believe that I can't find any pictures of monkey genitals on the internet. <laughs> Everything's supposed to be on the internet, particularly relating to genitalia. Yeah, rule 34, you have failed yes. me. That's right. You. Could I have some more wine? Certainly. <laughs> if we're going to talk about monkey genitalia, I just, mm. I just have this feeling that there should be wine involved. <laughs> Mm. Ah, monkey genitalia. Those yes. stories I can yeah. tell. I, I think <laughs> it's been interesting for me. Um, yes, I've gotten gotten more involved in the podcasting community, starting to um, listen to input from the you know what is is now called the sex positive um, community. Um, you know, listening to Cunning Minx and Violet Blue, and uh, particularly hearing you know getting exposed to a side of um, you know, feminist thought that mm-hmm. does not view 
se- you know, sexuality as something as subjugation, right? As subjugation. Mm. So it's it's definitely been eye opening for me in that respect, having seen a lot of feminism that saw all all sex between men and women as being rape uh, or as being morally equivalent to rape. Yeah, every man's a rapist. Right. Yeah. Right. Or at least a potential rapist. And so that was a very um, it's Isn't a very that, destructive yeah. attitude to... Well, there's another theory that every every woman's a whore because you you generally trade sex for something in a relationship. Well, yes, but relationship. so do men. <laughs> True, mm. yeah. Well, it, it, when, when the, the notion of prostitution pisses me off in the first place, A, that it's stigmatized, and B, that it's... Because um, it really is just a, one end of a continuum that humans... and All human relationships are based on commerce. I mean, it's crass and it sounds really cold, but it's not. All human relationships are I'm giving are you something, you give me something. They're exchange. Mm-hmm. You trust... You know, the relationship part comes when each of you is faithful enough in an exchange that you build trust so that you can extend each other things on credit. Or you can mm-hmm. feel okay giving to someone without expectation of direct payback because you trust mm-hmm. their character that when you need something, they will give without you asking mm-hmm. but it's all different flavors of commerce and sex is no different than anything else that way and and commerce is itself a sublimation of survival strategy yes um you know the the if you look at the the natural world um cooperation between individuals only happens in a certain very specific number of, of cases one is when the survival of one you know of, of the other directly adds to your own genetic fitness as when you're helping a a family member Mm -hmm. um another situation is when the individuals uh have no genetic fitness of their own as when the the worker bees in a hive are all working for the good of the hive because the only way that they get any of their genes passed on is if the queen survives um another situation and this is the one that you only see in higher animals um which sounds like a such a incredibly condescending terminology. <laughs> Sorry, but, bees. Um, <laughs> well, we're, we are higher animals as well. Yeah. Right. I mean, what you see in, in humans and uh, dolphins and a few other species. Uh, particularly is... the, the ones we've domesticated. Domestic, mm-hmm. It's one of the things that, take, that, that you see mm-hmm. more commonly in domesticated or domesticatable animals. Mm-hmm. Is tit-for-tat. Um, reciprocity. Reciprocity. Reciprocal altruism is the term that animal mm-hmm. behaviorists use. And that, you know, in order for that to happen between individuals who are not related to each other, you have to have the ability to identify um, and remember individuals and to mm-hmm. say, oh, I remember this guy. He did this and this for me in the past. And there also has to be a continuity of relationship that allows mm-hmm. for rule breakers to be punished. Yes. And a sense of, a sense of uh, parity between output and payment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you see this in experiments with monkeys, where they'll see what someone gets paid for accomplishing a particular task, mm-hmm. and then they'll work. And you set them to work with uh, work yeah. with another one. And if you pay them equally, even if the pay is low, mm-hmm. they'll be okay. Mm-hmm. If you pay them unequally, <laughs> even if the pay is extraordinarily high, they'll fight or they'll refuse to work again. Mm-hmm. Didn't they just discover that dogs do that yeah, as well. Yeah, they, they just discovered well? dogs have jealousy. Well, duh. <laughs> Any of us who have been dog owners will be able to tell you that. Oh much. yes, but. Um, so these these sorts of complex behaviors that you see um, in the the higher animals, you know, commerce is just a sublimation of that. Yeah. It's using money as a currency 
um, for it, a point do- score. It puts a point scoring system. Yeah, it's a point scoring system, and it's it's basically money is an IOU yes. that says I will you know provide you with something that you need later on in exchange for this mm. marker. Yes. Yeah. And relationships work in a similar fashion. Yeah, but it, yeah, yeah, but I bring that up because the whole prostitution thing really fucking pisses me off. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's a way for um, it's a way for men and women who are not comfortable with their sexuality or who are afraid of the sexual power that others can have over them can use to categorize away people that might threaten them. And the, I think it's mm-hmm. terribly immature. The to, other thing that it does is that it sweeps under the rug something that is going to happen anyway. Yeah. And removes... They don't the, call it the only pro- oldest profession. profession yeah. Right. I mean, in, in we haven't seen it in Metamore City yet, but um, that one of the things that I decided when I set up this world was that, you know, there there are licensed prostitutes mm-hmm. called sensualists. And the whole idea behind the sensualist guild is to bring people in who would otherwise be in fairly desperate circumstances and to give them job training mm-hmm. that will allow them to be successful because the sensualists are also, they're, they're the ones who do chiropractic and acupuncture and, mas- and therapeutic massage and um, relationship counseling, all these other mm-hmm. things related to caring for the body. Yes, and if you've ever talked to a prostitute who's not at the bottom end of the food chain walking the streets, mm-hmm. um, they'll tell you that they do get clients who are like, just talk to me, keep me mm. company, go to mm-hmm. dinner with me. I think I, need- I, t- I told you that New Zealand has legalized prostitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, the, and the whole thing, I think it was about three years ago, four years ago, um, was that everybody threw up their hands and said, this is the end of our civilization. Uh-huh. This, is gonna, this is going to corrupt our society and children will be, you know... I don't know. The heads will be turned. People always bring up children when they don't have an argument. Yeah, it's like... Mm. In the Simpsons episode, isn't there a character that goes, no one's thought about the children! Every time something is anything is mentioned, she goes, has no one thought of the children? (laughs) Well, yeah, it is pretty much the standard um, excuse for tyranny in the United States. I don't know about anywhere else. It really is, and 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 almost always unnecessary tyranny. Is there such thing as necessary tyranny? There's an argument to be made, circa Hobbes and Leviathan, etc. Touche. But... um, but um, even even in extreme cases where some tyranny might be warranted, like in the case of child porn, mm. because and, and their tyranny may be warranted because you actually do have to abuse a child to get the porn. Yeah. Right. But um, if you're looking to stop pedophiles from whacking off rather than just to stop children from being abused so pedophiles can whack off, you don't go after child porn. You go after Disney. Mm. If you have ever worked abnormal psych with pedophiles, they far prefer Disney films. Mm. Seriously? Seriously. And Snow White is the quintessential child porn fantasy film. Wow. But she's not not an actual child. But she is in the Disney film, totally undeveloped. And Well, that's right. She is rather flat-chested. Yep. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the film, she only has relationship to other characters in terms of her sexuality. Mm-hmm. She has no basis for other relationships other than her sexuality. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not my it's favorite a princess. Very disgusting film. Yeah. Well, it tends. It would tend to explain the massive amounts of uh, Disney um, porn mm-hmm. artwork that is out there. There you go. Um, you know, Julius Zimmerman, I think it is, mm-hmm. who's for you know done. He's built a career 
uh, out of doing mm-hmm. little one-off sketch. He does these. He does like thousands and thousands of sketches of um, pornographic acts, usually between Disney characters, mm-hmm. and then sells them. You know, just individual copies on the internet, and you know he sells four or five a day at you know. You know, we're in the wrong business. Or Thirty dollars <laughs> each, and that's it's going his career. Yeah. Disney characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so anyway, I, I, I'm sorry. I have a hobby horse. I've worked with too many sexually abused kids. Mm. Um. Anyway. Well, I think that uh, the uh, I can totally understand that that background because um, when I started writing Metamorph City and decided to explore sexual themes and mm-hmm. alternative sexualities, that that was a deliberate. Uh, reaction to the very um, puritanical is the wrong word because the Puritans get an unnecessarily bad rap for their attitudes about sex. Mm. Middle but class Victorian wannabe is where. It there you from. go. Yeah, uh, excessively repressed and repressive um, attitudes towards sexuality. Um, Considering how kinky the Victorians were, that's quite amazing. Yeah, it tells mm. you something about how well repression if, works. If you tighten it? yourself up enough, you build up a good head uh-huh. of steam. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm certain that uh, the early stories that I wrote in the world, um, such as Huntress and Troubled Minds, are indicative of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because. There isn't any explicit sex in Huntress, but come on, it's about vampires. Mm. <laughs> no, and Leanne read it. And, and Leanne, oh my yeah. God, <laughs> her voice! Yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah. But, well, fortunately, uh, we got the other sexiest voice in podcast. That's <laughs> right. There was that, that, somebody said to me, "Oh, you've got the sec- one of the two sexiest voices in podcast." Like, Who's the other one? It's like, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Leanne's the other one. Um, mm-hmm. No, that, that's why I thought of you uh, for Brittany. Immediately, when when mm-hmm. I was like, "Now who want to get to voice Brittany? Pip. Although Maybe I, I can I'm, get Pip. <laughs> I'm thinking now that we have to add Kim, the comic book goddess, to the pantheon because having heard her her voice recently, <laughs> she does have yeah. a sexy voice. Yes. Um, oh, I was going to tell you the rest of the story oh, yeah, about yeah, please, uh, please, New please. Zealand prostitution. Uh-huh. The interesting thing was that um, what what would be uh, classed as the Republican Party in New Zealand was all up in arms, you know, saying all of this. And they just recently um, got elected into into government. Mm-hmm. No mention of that we're going to repeal that. Mm. Um, also, the, the same thing was with the civil union bill that had also been, oh, that was, oh, society's going to crumble. Mm-hmm. No mention of that. It's like being absorbed. No. And I, I, I think New Zealand has quite a different attitude to yeah. sex. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't um, very repressed people there that you know yeah. get on their hobby horse about as soon as anything sexual, but because we don't ha- have that, um, I think we're closer to being pioneers. You know, our, our history yeah. is probably only you know heading on. We're heading towards two hundred years mm-hmm. of. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and you only live out on the frontier if you're full yeah. of bloody-minded individualists. And yeah, and and New Zealand women are. The most promiscuous in the world. <laughs> and, and, and yet you've been so well behaved when you're here. I'm kind of disappointed. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I am naked, covered in honey. What do you mean? Oh, what an image. <laughs> you tease. You're I'm a jo- saucy bitch. I'm, I'm joking. It's olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Be careful. You're sleeping in the next <laughs> If I wake up and something's getting poured on my head. <laughs> yes, I will come and anoint you in your sleep. 
That's not olive oil. <laughs> Is that you or the snake? <laughs> oh, dear gods. <laughs> she has, there's two snakes that live in the room she's sleeping in. Mm. <laughs> That's right. One of them is a python named Monty. Yes, yes it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I touched Monty. Yep. Dan, let me touch Monty. <laughs> Brought you back to his house to let you play with his snake. <laughs> oh, boy. Starting off with, do you want to hold it? Don't be frightened. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the sound of my battery dying. Uh, dying. dying, yes. It makes a cheerful noise. <laughs> oh, we ran out of internet access about an hour ago. And we're and getting we... really slap happy. Can can cannibalism tell? nearly ensued. <laughs> we, we brought out the mics to keep us separated. And <laughs> <That's right>. sane. <laughs> Yeah. Well, arguably. to inflict our insanity on you, <laughs> oh, <laughs> won't you man. be blessed? <laughs> but um, you had uh, on the way on the way up, we had just gotten mm-hmm. into the the conversation. You had started to talk about how very different, um, from your perspective, the sex in our worlds was from yours. Mm. And I thought maybe we could each talk about, like, you and Pip could talk about mine, and me and Pip could talk about yours, and you know, okay. and, and you and yeah. me could talk about Pips, and we go around. <laughs> That's a cool Taking idea. How many combinations is there here? Well, it depends on whether we include Kitty or not. This could be very <laughs> interesting. Turning into a very poly, uh, yeah, <laughs> you well, and me, hey. and you. <laughs> There's a reason I've got the Cal King bed, you know. <laughs> when I went bed shopping when we first got married, I wasn't looking for a sleeping surface. I was looking for a wrestling mat. <laughs> Does that include like poles so you can like do the high dives? Uh, unfortunately, not right now. The the room is too small to support anything but the platform. All right. What I'm sorry. He just rolled stun damage against me. <laughs> yes, Chris is sort of... What? The wrestling mad comment guy. Uh, more ah. the visuals of the. Why are you wearing equipment? a Mexican wrestling outfit in my, my, my visual? <laughs> oh boy. You're not making it better, Kiwi. <laughs> this is worse than There your... is a quality to his fragile isolation that puts you in mind of Winona Ryder in court. <laughs> I didn't want to mention that you look like Winona Ryder, but now you've brought it up. <laughs> I just didn't know Winona Ryder had such dapper facial hair. Such beautiful mm. and sparkling forget-me-not blue eyes. Mm. I've lost in them. It's getting hot here. I have to take off some more clothing. Oh. He smiles, and he turns that smile onto you. It's like basking in the light of twin suns. <laughs> We're having entirely too much fun with that Mitchell and Webb look. Yes. It's a British uh, sketch comedy show. You should all check it out. They talk about Chris Lester to a great extent. It's just like they've met the man. <laughs> yeah. Except they think I'm blonde. What's that about? <laughs> Were you wearing a wig that day? It must have been. Just trying a new look. Bleached for Halloween, perhaps? Yeah, could be, could be. So I'm sorry, we were talking about sex. <laughs> back to, enough about me, back to sex. So um, I'll ask you, Pip, what is your perception of Dan's uh, writing and the erotica therein, or erotic content therein? It is It is very matter of fact. I think you totally achieve that. You know, it's, it's just like getting up in the morning and having your breakfast. Or getting up in the morning, having a shag, then having your breakfast. 
<laughs> that sort of thing. But I uh-huh. think there is the the sensuality of the bathtub scene. Mm. Oh gods, yes, the bathtub scene. <laughs> Morale. <laughs> also, also shows the, the the sensual aspect of it, which mm-hmm. as a, as a woman. Um, <laughs> that that scene was really um, breathtaking because it was so much of a change in tone mm. from a lot of the rest of the story up to that point. But it illuminated, it wasn't gratuitous because it illuminated yeah. another aspect of the character that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have seen. And I think that when you were talking about, um, you know, having the character. Veritas, yeah. Yes, yeah, that uh, when you do a character, you think about how do they fuck? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. what's their attitude to sex? And I think that one of the reasons why the narrative feels so different there is because up until that point, every time we've seen Cassie, she is very much mm. in this shut-down, business-like... In control. In control, very constrained individual. And Brittany demolishes all of her controls, all of her barriers. From the very the first moment that Brittany puts her hands on her, you see mm. everything that she's trying to hold together fall apart. But that, uh, yeah, well, that's and it, it, it's very truthful because when you're utterly in love with somebody, they do that. They break mm-hmm. down your barriers, and, and, and particularly, mm-hmm. and, and part of that comes. I'm workaholic isn't quite the right word because I do what I do because I love what I do. So mm. it's. There's a very work and play have a very blurry line between them for me. When I'm in a groove, but I've been working too hard, and so I'm exhausted too. And say Kitty comes into the room, I'm like, "Don't bother me! Don't bother me! Don't bother me!" But she comes over and she puts her arms around me, and I just completely go to pieces. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's how it should be. Yeah, and you can see how <laughs> afraid she is of that. Right. I mean, there, there's this, there's this terror of, please don't, don't. Take advantage of yeah. Don't don't do this to me. I I can't bear to be this vulnerable, like this. right? And yet that that total melting away of any any fighting, any resistance. It's like she knows that she has no defenses against mm, this, and that scares the hell out of it. It does. Yep. It does. Well, it, it, it probably scares the hell out of most people. Yeah, but her particularly does. because how she how she is. Right. Well, she's such a masculine character in a lot mm. of ways, and. You know, very, very much um, about directed energy and logical yeah. pursuit let's of say, her objectives. Say, hopefully stereotypically masculine, but not necessarily masculine in inflection. At least I hope she doesn't feel like a man. She doesn't no. feel mannish, okay, no. Good. But she feels like a woman who has had to survive in a man's world. Yeah. And um, very much like Zoe from Firefly in yeah. that respect. You know, there, you, there was never any doubt about <laughs> Zoe's femininity. Oh, gods no but um we love you joss but the um there there was also she turned it off when she went you know, and she put right. on the uniform put on the boots and stepped out of the bedroom yeah. it was all turned off and she mm-hmm. was all about getting the job done and i see i see a lot of the same things in cassie but mm. i think in, in zoe it was oriented out of her understanding of the proper places uh, for work and play in mm, her life. Keep things delineated and, right. Right, and their and own compartments. Whereas I think that Cassie does it because she's afraid of that yeah. side of herself. Yeah, she's and, kind of walled it, walled it off. Mm-hmm. And so then the, you, you kind of wonder what's going to happen because you think, okay, so she's vulnerable. 
Yeah. Is that vulnerability going to be exploited? And that, that's sort of intriguing. Yeah. And the other thing that I wonder about is is what is going on in Brittany's head? Because yeah. we've seen when the, in the one scene that was inside her head that she is an absolute total manipulator. Mm. And so... You know, we we see this this scene from from her perspective where she's taught you know thinking to herself about all of the backstabbing and and you know mind what she games had to do to get there that yep. she did to get here, and then we see her with mm. Cassie, and it's not inside Brittany's head. Yeah, so. and it's mm, is this deliberate. like another step, or is this is it real for her as well? Right, that's. That's something you'll just have to stay tuned yeah. for. Yeah, we'll see that. But that's the that's the good thing because the whole the sex is revealing and, and posing and questions at the same time. Yeah, yeah. that that makes it yeah. more than just boom, chicka, wow, wow. Yeah. You know, and, and part of the reason that's covered up is because part part of it's to create suspense. Hey, because mm. that's what we do, right? Exactly. But part of it is because I didn't think that we could see if we knew Brittany's motives and mind thoroughly. I don't think we would identify very well with Cassie in that scene because right. we yeah. would know either that she's being an idiot by submitting or that she was being an idiot by fighting. Yeah. And either way, we then miss out on getting to know yeah. Cassie. Right, yeah. exactly. More, import- more important at that point in the story. And it builds tension. Yeah. That's really the most um, erotic scene that we've had so far. Well, there um, was uh, also the... Um, the sex scene in space with Marion and Percy in, in oh, zero yeah. gravity, oh, yeah. and, and, and in the, the Orange Grove too. Yeah, all the 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 back st- I, the stuff between you know from Marion's point of view t- about her background and all that. Yeah, that was really sweet and touching, and of course, completely set you up to have your heart you like ripped out of your uh, chest. Through all that's going, you're going. This is gonna end badly for you, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you were already doing. That, yeah, I was huh? going. I'm sorry if you trust. Just somebody, you know, without without some reservations. Maybe this is me, but you know, Could be. <laughs> I was just listening to it and I was thinking, oh, he's portraying a happy married couple that is actually in a healthy place, and <laughs> boom, boom, yeah. Little did you know, Marianne, that uh, you were married to a complete well. Sociopath. <laughs> uh, and, and I got it. Part, part of that um, is, um, and you, you notice how troubled all the relationships are. Mm-hmm. Part of it is because um, I am not big on the idea of innocence. Um, I think Christopher Hitchens had it right when he said, "Innocence is beguiling when you're eight and revolting when you're 18. Yeah, um, mm. it's. Uh, um, I think it's uh, in, in adults. It's not a good idea. Um, there's a difference between what what is meant by innocence when we say, oh, they're so innocent, and what is meant by innocence in the sense of they're not committing any crimes or being evil. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. There's a different – I don't think the former kind of innocence can really coexist with any sort of substantive goodness in an adult character. Well, no, and that's – you know from a, from a theological standpoint, that's why we didn't stay in the garden. Right. You know? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but Innocence uh, is not the ideal state of man, and I think this is something that a lot of – um, people in my um, theological background got screwed up. And, you know, they saw the, the Garden of Eden as being the ideal state of man, and it's not. It's the starting point. Right. And right. you have to you know, start from a place of innocence, and then you, you can't move to maturity without going through 
mistakes and pain and getting bumped around a bit yeah. getting bumped around get a the bit. edges in, taken in, off you yeah <laughs> exactly and in the case of these characters they whether they're starting out relatively innocent like marion is or whether they're starting out um very jaded like uh, cassie volish or joss um all of them have to uh let's say they have to earn their salvation they have to earn their adulthood mm-hmm. and um for some of them, it's going to end very badly, and for some of them, it's going to end very well. But none of them get to pass on the um, on the suffering and the growing process. Mm. Yeah, because that is what makes us human, and that mm. you know that the essential heart of the human experience is we fall down, we screw up. We figure we, out how to learn from the experience and become better people. We pick it. ourselves up and go on to the next That's experience. Right. Or we fail to, in which case it's a tragedy. <laughs> in which yep. case you're kind of stunted. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, uh, sex in antithesis, very bald and matter-of-fact for the most part, except in this one case where we're inside the uh, inside um, Cassie's head and uh, seeing it. You know, that, that beautiful emotional deconstruction on her part. I can't wait till you guys hear the final sex scene in the book. Mm. Because that's one of, that one's my favorite of the book um, because of where it comes and what it deals with. But, uh, but I'll not spoil you on it yet. <laughs> it's okay. coming soon enough. That's no good. I've gotten, enough of the, uh, I've gotten enough of the secrets of <laughs> antithesis already, yeah. people. And... You ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Thank you very much.